This is Task Force N Radio, and I'm its host, John Crotech, advocate for humankind, education, and commerce. We are on a mission to create human healing on a massive global scale and to tell the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to making our planet a better place to live. Our guest for this episode of Task Force Zen Radio is Dr. Joe Tafur, medical doctor. Dr. Tafur is a true medical doctor visionary. Throughout his entire career, he's been an integrative medicine activist. Graduating from the University of California's medical school in San Diego, Dr. Tafur worked on collaborative projects at UCLA's Center for Integrative Medicine and the Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine. He's lectured at a number of prestigious medical schools to include the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine, Yale, University of Southern California, and the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. Dr. Tafur's exploration into modern medicine struggles with certain mental and psychosomatic health problems has led him into the emotional and spiritual dimensions underlying these medical issues. Dr. Tafur immediately recognized the broader value of spiritual healing practices used by shamans throughout the ages. He believes spiritual healing is spiritual practice and spiritual practice is spiritual healing. And both can help heal the emotional body and in turn the mind body. Dr. Tafur continues to spread this very important message at various conferences throughout the world. Currently, he works part-time as a family physician in the United States and continues his educative bridge work through Modern Spirit, we're going to hear more about that, and the Modern Spirit Podcast. Welcome, Dr. Tafur. I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you very, very much for having me, John. Well, you know, to get, to get started, just very briefly, because the, really the show is about your message and about who you are and, and how you got to where you're at, but a good friend of mine, Vietnam veteran, handed me your book, The Fellowship of the River. We'll, we'll talk a bit about that about three months ago, and uh, I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in 48 hours, probably could have done sooner if I didn't have to get sleep. But I was totally intrigued by the work that you've done and continue to do to help people heal, not only with modern medicine, but also with practices that many would consider um, spiritual in nature. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, doctor, how you got to where you're at. Yeah, well, you know, in the book, I try to talk a little bit about the story of how I how I got into all this but you know I'm from I'm from Arizona I originally and I um, I had gone at some point I went to medical school in California and in medical school I I found myself depressed you know which apparently is it's fairly common in medical school and and it's a whole other issue what's going on there but my dad is a was a psychiatrist and I was you know, trying to figure out what to do to, to get through school and how to, how to feel better. I tried antidepressants a little bit, um, and it did help me a little bit, but, but not, uh, it did help me. You know, I found in my case it was useful for a period of time, but I didn't want to continue. Well, like I wanted to find something different, something longer lasting, uh, just something deeper. And so I came back to Arizona, where I'm from, to, uh, to go through peyote ceremony. At a place called uh, the Peyote Way, uh, the Peyote Way Church of, of Peyote Way Church of God, I believe it's called, which is actually started uh, by a trio of people. One of them is Emmanuel Trujillo, who's a World War II veteran, you know, mm-hmm. who apparently had PTSD, what we would call PTSD now, from World War II, and had come back and had he has a uh, he's has some native roots and came back to Arizona to get involved with peyote, you know, and a large part for his own healing, but then got involved in, in working with that and teamed up with, with two, uh, two younger American seekers at the time are now running the churches, uh, Matthew and, uh, Annie, Matthew Cannon, Annie's out. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, interesting enough, that's just what that place was founded on and started on. And, uh, and so I went there and I had an amazing, I had a big, big shift and I was really, shocked you know that i had never as a doctor or a young medical student that i had never really you know that there was just all this stigma around psychedelics and psychedelic plants 
and I had never really been exposed to like their healing potential. And I just found it so powerful and so helpful just in one, one night of ceremony with that was really gave me the strength to kind of to continue on, it didn't fix everything, but it really helped me. So I started, uh, you know, going back to peyote several times over the rest of my medical school and my, uh, my residency in family medicine. And I started, you know, learning more and more about psychedelic clinical research that was growing. It was, it was like they had started doing some research again from the 90s onward. So I was in medical school in 1999 to 2003. They had started to be, you know, begun the DMT research and started paving the way for the MDMA research for PTSD and now the psilocybin research. All that stuff was kind of popping up. And at the same time, there was a growing kind of scene of the ayahuasca tourism, people going down to Peru to experience ayahuasca with traditional healers in the Amazon. And my family's from Colombia. And so I knew about that. I knew about the traditional healers from the Amazon and their work with ayahuasca, or what in Colombia they call yahe. And because of what I had observed with peyote, I was very curious to learn more about what was with ayahuasca. So in 2007, I went down there and uh, I had a major experience um, just exploring. And it was really, uh, I was really impressed with not just the, the practice of it and the art of it and the, just the whole thing of just being down there, but the kind of results they were, the impact they were having on the, on the people who are largely Americans and Europeans who were coming down there for this healing from this traditional culture. Right. And that's when I started, like, you know, I took a, I went back and, you know, I was very fascinated. So I went back on my own. And then eventually I brought somebody down with a history of ulcerative colitis that, you know, needed some help, a lot of childhood trauma. And, and he had a really significant experience there. And then eventually I organized a group. And that's when I took, uh, you know, like this, I talk about in the book, you know, Russ, a, a family friend of mine who was a Vietnam vet who was kind of suffering with PTSD, who uh, in 2009 we went down there and he had a major shift, yeah. you know, yeah. in his symptoms um, from a 10-day experience, you know. And I just saw Russ uh, like a few weeks ago. So that was that was 10 years ago, you know, or even 11 years ago that we went down there. And it just, it really marked such a big turnaround for him and his health and his mental health and his physical health. And so it was just a, an amazing experience, you know, me as a doctor who all the medical students and most of the residents, like you rotate through the VAs, you know, the VA is part of like the medical education system of, of the United States. So it depends a lot on on medical students and residents. So, you know, most people that have been through medical training have been exposed to the VA and are aware of, of PTSD. They're aware of the issues around, for example, Vietnam vets that they just see as this chronic problem, you know, that it's just not getting better uh, when you're in that scene and in that world. And just to have Russ, who'd been through all, all that, you know, treatment, what was available to him, right. he turn around kind of rapidly. You know, I mean, obviously he had done a lot of work. He was headed in the right direction. So he, he had been working towards this, but it was just a pivotal moment for him in his life. And so that's, was a very significant, you know, case on top of the other like psychological problems and maybe less, less intense problems that I saw people making, you know, gains with, or just very personal issues. You know, I, I started taking a few more people down and then eventually i became friends with one of the healers one of the traditional um shipibo shamans ricardo marengo and we decided to along with our our friends feet the mamich open our own center in peru and so then i i helped to run that center and we saw you know that center still running i'm I, at the end of like the beginning of 2017 i stepped down as a business partner but just to hand it over to Ricardo. What's the name of the center? Because It's called Niwei Rao. A lot of people have a hard time pronouncing it. <laughs> Niwei Rao. It's a, it's a Shipibo phrase, Niwei Rao. It's named for a tree. There's a tree that's very sacred to the Shipibo culture that there just happens to be a grove of it on that property. And, and so that's why, uh, that's why the center was placed there. Ricardo chose it for that reason. And also... Uh, that's where the healing, the maloka, the ceremonial space is in the middle of that grove. So it's for that tree called Niwe Rao. And so that's why it's called Niwe Rao Spiritual Center or Niwe Rao Centro Espiritual. So Ricardo continues to run that, you know, and has 
they've been able to run it on their own for the last couple of years. And in that time, I still take groups down there. You know, it's still like an, a, a very uh, amazing place to to run groups and and kind of take people through traditional healing. So, you know, this with Ross, for example, it wasn't just ayahuasca. It was this whole traditional Shipibo approach that involved this this diet, you know, this restrictive period, this retreat in the forest, and then multiple ayahuasca ceremonies, and then these other master plants that were given to him to help him out. So yeah, that's that's the kind of treatment that we offered at Anyway Rao, and I, I observed a, a lot of healing there of like all different directions, and even you know some some physical healing cases. So that's what the books is about, trying to connect the dots between right. you know what it, that these people are coming down there for. Why are Americans and Europeans coming all the way down to the Amazon for healthcare? Um, what are they getting down there that they're not getting up north? And what is it addressing that maybe we could learn to address? You know, maybe not everyone needs to go through ayahuasca shamanism and all that stuff, but what are the elements that are being addressed and, and how can we learn from that? Yeah, a couple of questions that you raise here. You know, I know that you had in the book, you pointed it out, you know, you had an early interest in the integrative medicine. And for those that don't really understand integrative medicine, uh, can you expound on that a little bit, doctor? Yeah. You know, that was part of my frustration, I think, in becoming a doctor probably was just that I was interested in, in what, you know, what people call holistic healing. Right. So we're, what we're talking about is healing that involves not just the physical body, but is also addressing. Well, I mean, there's so many elements of it, you know, so we have what we call allopathic medicine, the MD, the medical doctor. That's kind of been, you know, very much the main authority or in charge of a lot of the, the healthcare that's going on. And then we see that that system of thinking, you know, we're all aware is, is very effective for certain things, but sometimes, you know, falls short for, for other things. And so there's all these other, first was just all the other traditions, right? So you have like a Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. And so with acupuncture and herbs as an example of uh, another tradition that of where people are, you know, very trained and advanced in their training. Then there's things like... Uh, like naturopathic medicine, you know, which is is another form where people are getting advanced degrees in the United States to be healthcare providers. Then you got a lot of other, you know, um, many, many things. There's even the body workers. We could call it like chiropractic, you know, which is considered fairly mainstream, but that would be considered, uh, you know, outside of the allopathic model that, uh, you know, going to a chiropractor may not necessarily be covered by your insurance. You know, it's just a little bit outside of the, of the standard of care for some people. So there's all these other traditions and practices, and then a lot of them, they, they have not just different techniques, but they have different philosophies of how, how the body works, how health works, and um, you know, some, of those, some of the things that Western medicine maybe wasn't paying enough attention to previously, like lifestyle, you know, like nutrition, like the role of psychosocial stress in you know any number of diseases not just mental health problems but in heart disease and high blood pressure and other problems you know even so like uh even like aromatherapy they found then, they found right. that in like the pyramids well so then these are these are ancient traditional practices right so we have like aromatherapy and then there's energy healing you know all kinds of forms of energy healing all kinds of forms of spiritual healing you know, there's the role of prayer in medicine and all that, you know, faith healing, all those kind of things. So there's just this huge, you know, number of traditions out there of people trying to help other people. And so, you know, there was a movement, I guess, in the early 1900s in the United States, that's what I hear about, like the Flexner Report. It was kind of like this movement to standardize things and institutionalize things in an effort to like you know, stop uh, what they would call like charlatanism, you know, snake oil salespeople. So if all oh, these people are getting fooled, you know, people are getting fooled by this phony medicine and healing. So now we want evidence-based medicine and right. you can't just go around telling people, I know how to do this and I know how to do that. Um, you've got to prove it or, or at least prove it to some standard that whatever the institution that's around is going to say that's the standard. So, so that, you know, that's how a lot of stuff got kind of left out and so this issue of like throwing the baby out with the bath water that that there was a lot of really powerful healing techniques or powerful medical knowledge 
that was disregarded and left out. And so then when people are doing normal, you know, Western medical care and they're not able to get the results that they're looking for, and then they want to look what we call outside of the box, you know, they're going to try acupuncture. They're going to try aromatherapy. They're going to try these things. That was kind of seen first. We call that alternative medicine, you know, that was considered alternative medicine. And then they started calling complementary medicine. And now we kind of refer to it as integrative medicine in the sense that we're trying to integrate all these different techniques into a larger uh, medical understanding, which would make room for all these different pathways for people to, to get better. You know, that's based on results. That's based on something like effectiveness. You know, so it's this, it's this issue because sometimes people see maybe they're conservative minded or they think they're conservative minded or they call themselves conservative minded. And so they think, oh, that stuff, that's, that's too weird. That's too different for me. But then when we're talking about results, you know, that's the true conservative perspective. Well, yeah. You know, I, I got to tell you right now, I'm conservative minded, but yeah. I was, I was extremely fascinated and I have had experience with some of the things you have mentioned. I I was extremely fascinated how, you know, the, the foundation of trauma and how it affects the spirit. And I think you mentioned in the book how the shamans say that a person would lose their soul. And, well, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and how the various plants and, and in the forest, you know, to include the tree you talked about, how the plants were able to create this bridge back to find the soul to, to help fix or basically heal these emotional reactions to trauma and then to integrate it back into uh, what you call the mind body. And, and I, yeah. I, I got to tell you, Doc, I'm, I am Joe conservative here and, yeah. and this is all of high value. Well, and that's what I think, you know, and I, and I, and that's, you know, and I, I'm all for it. You know what I mean? That, that's my, my point is this message is universal. Yes. And, and so that's, I'm just saying how sometimes people will yep. be a little close minded because of they're, they're worried that they're straying too far out of their belief system, you know? And the point is, is that this is just about healing, you know, which I feel is a very universal concept. So when we look at like a PTSD type of problem and, but we talk about, you know, in the Shipibo tradition, this idea that let's say a child that's that's really traumatized or very scared or frightened or even an adult in a very serious, you know, traumatic situation like let's say combat, that they would potentially, you know, that the fear would be so intense that as they would put it and as we would understand it from a spiritual perspective, which, you know, may not make sense to people, but it's a way of talking about things and it's a way of looking at things is that the soul would be kind of scared out, you know, just not feel safe anymore to be embodied, to be within in this life, you know, the, the trust of just moving forward in this life is just kind of lost. And so then there's, there's, if we look at that, how what people describe, you know, the way this traditional person would describe that soul loss, you know, what people call soul loss in some different circles is that they, that person would just kind of lose a sense of themselves, you know, lose a sense. They feel empty inside. They don't feel motivated or passionate about life. They don't feel engaged, like from a heartfelt sense uh, in life. And so then the idea is that that person, you need to help them kind of basically clear out and heal like all the energies of the associated trauma and help them work through it so that you can invite, you know, their soul back into being what they call soul retrieval. So there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting kind of parallels in Western medicine when you talk about PTSD or first of all would be like in a childhood traumatic situation where people have, and even later in life, where people have uh, repressed memories, you know, where they actually just totally shut down and they can't even remember what happened. So that's like a dissociation, you know, which is related to what we would, to traditional people would call like a soul loss. So they're dissociated. And there's different ways that that could manifest at the physical level. One way is that you, your brain, and it's like we know that your brain is filtering out like a lot of what's coming in. A lot of the perception is being filtered out, either perception from the outside world and also perception from the inside, from how you feel in your body, what does it feel like in your heart, what does it feel like in your guts, you know, what does it feel like in your legs. All that kind of stuff is, is constantly being filtered and integrated. Right. So there's a lot of ways that you could shut down your mind can turn off the switches to your feelings, so to speak, you know, 
where you would no longer feel, you would not feel uh, the same way that somebody who, let's say, doesn't have that kind of history would feel. And so that kind of goes along with this idea of this soul loss experience, you know, and we even have, there's even like, we're learning more like how the neuroscience, like how the brain, the default mode network would maybe be involved somehow in the kind of mental scarring that goes on around trauma that would detach people from, from their, you know, embodied sense of how they feel, what it's like to be alive, et cetera, et cetera. So then when you open that stuff up, with uh, psychedelic treatment, you know, carefully, you know, under a lot of uh, guidance and all that kind of stuff, you see people, you know, a lot of times people repress traumatic memories come up, repressed emotional experiences come up, and now you can work on those things and work through those things, you know, with a lot of care. Um, and somehow that process kind of parallels like what traditionally we would also be in the in the midst of trying to help somebody like regain their soul you know invite their soul and their being back into their into their body allow themselves to feel what it is to be alive in the present you know instead of being blocked off by past trauma where so much of their sensory experience is guided by the past well, you know, it's interesting because I, I was raised in an era where they showed these commercials on television that showed like a, an egg frying in a frying pan. And this is your brain on drugs. And so anybody that I ever knew that did psychedelics, they always seem to be having a good time. But, you know, I was scared to death to even venture into that world. Of yeah. course, when I was in college, pot and marijuana didn't seem to make you crazy. And and even my own recovery period with the traumatic brain injury from an alcohol-induced accident back in 2012, CBDs helped to save my life. I was able to, right. you know, medical grade, prescription grade, I was able to get the sleep that I needed. The pr- usual route of Prozac to get me s- sleeping again made me more suicidal. Right. And of course, in that journey, this is, you know, it opened me up into something new and especially I'm telling you, your book has really got me going, but yeah. I had repressed a childhood assault uh, that had occurred to me between the third and fourth grades. And of course, the traumatic brain injury brought it to to uh, the summit and spun out of control. And now I'm back on track. <laughs> but everything that you said is exactly right in line with how you can really integrate all of these different things to bring that soul back. And that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now. And that's why I'm intrigued by your work and all these great things, you know, and I will make it down to your center. I've already been in contact with Santiago. So we'll see how we can make that happen. But but let me ask you this. So it's not mine anymore. It's Ricardo's, but yeah. Yeah. But, but you started it, man. So yeah. Yeah. And we appreciate that. This is phenomenal work. And, People are coming back to it. I'm reading now where government contracts are being signed. There's more research coming back again into the psychedelic world. And, you know, but let me ask you this. As a person that started a treatment center, you know, in the jungles of Peru, in a really cool area near Iquitos, let me ask you this. What do you think about some of the folks that might be out there that are selling the experience as just selling the experience and they're going you know, what do you think about that? Because oh, there's tons of that. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, I think we got to be educated and we have to be careful. And so, you know, it just, you can't just be foolish in life. Okay. Whether that's with alcohol or any of these things, you know, there are just consequences that we have to warn young people about. We have to warn people who are unaware about. And so in Peru, you know, like they're like the attitude where it's legal. Okay. So it's legal to offer this and and you can offer this to foreigners. You know, they expect the amount of personal responsibility expected of the average person in Peru is, is much higher, I would say, than here. In other words, you are not, if they see somebody, a foreigner coming out to the middle of the jungle where they don't speak the language, they don't know the culture. And they're just going to randomly pick somebody to drink this like extremely mind altering substance with, you know, to see what's going to happen. Um, no matter how desperate or, you know, but I mean, the, that kind of falls out to the wayside as you realize they had to take a flight, you know, across the world to get there. They put the responsibility on the person, you know, they're surprised. They're just their attitude is like they don't have that kind of naivete in their whole country. Nobody would do that. 
they're not sure people would, they'd be surprised if people did that here in their own country to go up to somebody that you don't know their language, you don't know their culture, and you're just going to sit down with them and drink this mind altering substance and see what happens. Right. You know? So people need to be very careful. And so, you know, I, like I said, it's legal over there and I think it should be legal, you know, and we have the same issues around alcohol and, and some of these other substances that are available and people need to be educated and they need to be very careful about it. So there is plenty of problems in Peru with ayahuasca. There's plenty of people trying to, there's, you know, people are very poor over there, a lot of people. And so they're trying to take advantage economically of the situation, some of them, and some of them are trying to, they're sexual predators that are trying to see if they can get some women over there to, you know, to come under the influence. So those things are very real and people need to be warned about those things. That being said, there is a medical tradition. There are people there that are serious about this and helping people. And there is a spirit and a root to that side of, of this tradition, indigenous tradition from, from that area with ayahuasca that's, that's very beautiful and very powerful. And so those places are, you know, out in the open, places like Niwe Rao, where they're, you know, and there's a number of centers that have, uh, you know, reputations. And they, there's iAdvisor and there's these websites that are going up to try to help guide people to finding safe places, you know, to go through this kind of experience. So I think people need to consider their safety. No, Definitely time. some great points. You know, so let's just say I am a person that has struggled with post-traumatic stress and I've read your book and I decide that and I'm, and I'm booked to go down there at Niwe Rao in, in near Iquitos. Right. Can you describe what that person can expect and what the process would be to, to do that, Doc? Well, so there's first there's like a series of steps, you know, to see if like, are you a good candidate for this kind of treatment? You know, number one. So. You got to consider somebody's like psychiatric history. You know, have they ever had any like psychotic episode? Have they ever had a manic episode, like a bipolar type of episode? That's a major issue. That could be a real, real problem in ayahuasca. And so for the most part, that's just that stops it right there. You know, they wouldn't want you to come down in the jungle and try your luck with that kind of history and see what happens. Right. Um, Next is, you know, the medical condition. So it's like, you know, heart disease. Are you at risk of heart attack? Would you be somebody that could potentially get in a stressful ayahuasca ceremony, have a heart attack? You know, would you be somebody that might be at risk of stroke? You know, is that an issue that you need to worry about? So you got to kind of check out the safety. Then there's medications. You know, is the person on any kind of medication? What is that medication and, you know, what's the plan around taking that medication? Is that contraindicated for work with the plants? So there's a screening process. That's first, you know, then you got to think about, okay, are you ready to, to go through this? And what kind of support do you have, you know, coming home? So we see that it's really important in the integration process. When people go through a big healing in an international setting and they come home, you know, they, they need some kind of support whether that's a you know, supportive family that's ready to help them or it's some people with more professional skills or a, a spiritual community or let's say a, a psychotherapist or some other resource that might be available through the VA or somewhere else. In the case of Russ, you know, he came back and he ended up entering this integrative um, PTSD program they had at U of A, at University of Arizona. So before he didn't quite feel ready to participate in that kind of thing and really kind of give more to the therapeutic process. But afterwards, he was able to. Right. So I think the integration process is just a very real thing. And there are people that have had really miraculous experiences and other people, probably most people need more, you know, longer term um, care and work to, keep, to make the most out of that kind of treatment. So I think those are the things that people should really think about. Um, before they they try to head down, they want to be as honest as they can about you know what they've been through, what they've done, as with the with the treatment team there, so that they can help them to the best of their ability. So then you show up, you fly down there, you go to Iquitos and a plane from Lima, and then you get picked up at the airport and you get taken out an hour and a half in a moto taxi. It's like a tuk tuk, you know, like a moto taxi out to the jungle to a, a retreat center that's out in the forest. That's Niwe Rao. And then you're going to kind of settle in over there, and eventually you're going to have to start your process. And this traditional Shipibo process means 
you're going to take a vomitive, a mix of plants that's going to make you throw up just to start your process. Because the idea is that the traditional healing involves a lot of, a lot of cleansing. You know, mm-hmm. there's a pur- there's a purgative element, like and there's a purification and there's a sacrifice of just okay, you're gonna really simplify things down, and focus on on working on yourself, and so that includes your diet and what you're eating. So there's very strict there with the diet uh, according to the traditional belief system, that that's the diet has a has a major impact on how well you can receive um, treatment from the plant. So you're on your diet, and then you meet with Ricardo or one of the lead shamans to talk about uh, why you've come, you know, and how they want to kind of organize your treatment. They probably will assign you some kind of master plant. That would be an additional plant that you would take that wouldn't necessarily have any psychoactive, whatever, uh, response in you, but will help you through your treatment, depending on what's going on. And then you start the process, which is being on the diet, the restrictive diet, taking your plants every day, being in retreat in the forest, and then the ayahuasca ceremonies. So those happen four nights a week there at that Niue Rao. You don't have to drink ayahuasca at any of the ceremonies or, or definitely not all of them, but they're available. And that's where the ceremonial healing happens. And the idea is to go through your experience with ayahuasca or without ayahuasca and to receive healing song from the shaman. So there's this energetic healing component of doing this um, spiritual healing that's ceremonial and that's what's being done there. And that's what is getting a lot of results with a lot of people. So there's a lot of different forms of ayahuasca healing, ayahuasca shamanism throughout the Peruvian Amazon. You know, the Shipibo culture is one of the cultures that's really sharing their techniques with people. And there's a number of centers that are based in Shipibo medicine in Peru. And, you know, that's what I try to talk about in the book a little bit, because I, I went through training with them to learn about those techniques and uh, to practice them. You know, that's where you start really bringing that element in. And so you need just a couple notes, like you need a safe space, you know, to do this kind of work. So that's one of the things that's missing in, in some of the Western contexts, like here in our culture. One thing that's missing, even in a lot of spiritual settings, is a, a safe place to be vulnerable, you know? And in other words, without judgment, beyond all judgment, truly spiritually, like, uh, conscious. So in other words, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It's like, this is going to be about healing. This is going to be about forgiveness. This is going to be about a, a deeper compassion, you know, to get people in touch with a deeper gratitude and a deeper self-love. So that's what's so important. And that's why... You know, this nature-based spirituality that's kind of driving it is, 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 is coming from that kind of place. You know, the, 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 the natural, the spirituality that the nature um, encourages is beyond judgment. And that that's very important and that needs to be made available to people because the idea that you can access divinity that way, you know, and, and come into, connect to your faith without necessarily, you know, being lost in judgment over your past, you know, over the things that have happened. And so that's, that's just a little piece of like, you know, what's so major about having like a spiritual healing retreat and that way that setting can really help set the stage for people to do this deep healing work. And I think the same is true about, and I've been exposed and I've been to the training for the MDMA as a psychotherapy that their sessions are very much along those lines, you know, it's helping people come into that that state that, like I said, unfortunately, like some people, even from their, their own spiritual background, they still don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable enough to, to work through stuff. And they need a lot of support. And, and that's the idea. You know, these patients that you mentioned, you know, I'm, I know I'm one of them, but these patients that you mentioned that are seeking something deeper than just, you know, the proverbial treatments, you know, and you mentioned, you know, I don't think you can go down there just one time and think you're going to get the fix and you're finished. And so you say, you know, you believe that there's a longer period of time to be in contact with these types of uh, traditions. Most important thing is that a longer time to be in touch with your healing process. Right. So this might be a major moment in your healing process. And so you may require, you know, more treatment from that uh, approach. To help you, you know, especially if it's something that has been so helpful. Some people, they get so much from it. They went, okay, I want to go do some more work. 
other people, it helps them find help through other healing, you know, but they stay connected to their healing process. You know, it is fascinating because, you know, there's documented case after documented case after documented case and the Shabibo, you know, shamans, they didn't just spring up yesterday. This is traditional methodologies that go back for since maybe the beginning of time, but you know, with humanoids anyways, but so what are the barriers here in America? You know, you mentioned the peyote American peyote church of God. What, what, what are the, what are the barriers here in this country? Well, I mean, is it possible to ever have a treatment center here where people do feel comfortable? Yes. Well, first, you know, I don't know if you probably have seen it, but I'm not sure if you've seen from shock to all. The movie? I have not. You need to see it and tell people about it. It's right up your alley. So From Shock to Awe is a movie made about some combat vets that have severe PTSD. And it's about them and their families. And these guys start out the movie talking about how they open their medicine cabinets and say, here's the, here's the 80 prescriptions that we <laughs> prescribed to the VA for yeah. the last two years. And I hate them, and they didn't help me. You know, that's this. This is just what these they're saying. You know, it wasn't it wasn't helpful, and so they're very frustrated about their care. And so then they both moved into marijuana, like you have the CBD or you know whatever it is, but marijuana related uh, products that made a huge, you know, impact on them was a huge relief for them and their process, and kind of it was got them off medications and was, you know, the side effect profile was such that it was just more helpful to them and they could live their lives a bit better. And then they wanted to go a step further. They felt like they kind of plateaued with the marijuana as far as what they were going to get out of that. And so they wanted to explore uh, ayahuasca in this case and also MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So the two guys go through ayahuasca treatment at SoulQuest in Orlando, Florida. So Orlando, Florida, Soul Quest is a place that is a spiritual healing center where they offer ayahuasca and they offer it to vets. And they made a whole movie about it. They applied to the DEA for a religious exemption to allow them to do this, you know, to do ayahuasca for spiritual reasons. And the DEA has not said no, but they haven't said yes. And mm -hmm. it's been over two years. While they've been waiting to hear back from the DEA, you know, they made this movie. Uh, from shock to awe, and it shows these guys and the kind of the amazing healing process that these, these couple guys achieved with the ayahuasca work that they did there, and then also a big uh, one of the guys' wives went through MDMA as psychotherapy, and just the the remarkable kind of progress she made, at least just through one session, and obviously needs more work and continue to work on it. But you know, that's the whole movie is a, is kind of a plea. They're like, why aren't we making this kind of stuff available to people? Well, it's definitely moving in the right direction. You know, that's a start for sure. It's, yeah, moving in the right direction. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, the issue is, so there is, a, there is, there are people who want to bring that here. I mean, I'm not saying that's the perfect place or that's the, everything they do there is correct or right, but they're just, they're boldly trying to help these guys, you know, and these women when against the stigma that we were talking about, you know, so the issue is, okay, yes, you know, I get it. We I don't want everyone to, I don't think everybody should be doing psychedelics and everybody needs to do psychedelic plants. Like I'm not promoting that, but they have a role, you know, to be, and they can be extremely helpful to some people in overcoming trauma and, you know, probably a number of other things. And so there's a lot of clinical research here in the States that's supporting that. So MDMA assisted psychotherapy that trial, that research is growing. They're looking at FDA approval within a year is what they're saying right now. So they are, yes, that's a fact. That's maps.org, maps.org. You can learn about that study. They started with a lot of sexual abuse vi victims. Now they're going into combat veterans and firefighters and police. So trying to help, again, the conservative elements of our society that are facing a lot of trauma, all these brave individuals from our you know, culture that end up having to face all this stuff. And so that's who they're targeting. They're talking to the Pentagon and they're talking to all these people making these, how can these treatments be made more available? So they're going through a process with the FDA. So that's coming up, but you know, so that's going to be, then there's work around trying to have those psychotherapeutic traditions learn from this ancestral cultures. You know, what can we learn from people's shamanism? How can that help? 
people in psychedelic psychotherapy. So that's going on. You know, I'm part of that dialogue and a lot of other people are too. So meanwhile, there are also a number of other churches that want to come into the scene to ask for permission from the DEA to provide ayahuasca as a spiritual healing, you know, practice under religious exemption, the same way that peyote is also exempt for the Native Americans from, uh, from the, you know, the war on drugs. So, you know, those are, those are examples, really very real examples that are coming in to, to the United States. Yeah. Well, it's phenomenal work, doctor, because, you know, even with Task Force N, you know, we're healing without labels is kind of our mantra to tell the stories of and things that are actually working to help people lead better lives. You know, we're advocates for human, you know, humankind. We're trauma knots. We're exploring, you know, that we're pushing the envelope to to educate. We uh, to me, it's all about the education. If we can get it out there. And I know that's a big part of your mantra as well. You know, you know, in light of all the great work that that you've been doing and continue to do and hope to do, you know, what's your hope for humankind? My hope for humankind right now, like the the message what we're working towards. And so, you know, I I, I just want to say I honor Task Force Zen and what you're talking about, healing without labels. And it's just about helping people find, you know, what works for them. And that's that's, you know, that's just about caring. And so what I see going on is like something that I'm a part of right now that is, is really important to me and kind of bridging like you were talking about, you know, my work with basically Native American culture in South America. And now we're bridging that work to work with Native Americans here in the United States and trying to find ways to to heal, you know, just like the trauma across the board, you know, for everyone. And part of that is like bringing back some ancestral wisdom, you know, what you've been talking about, like all this great Shipibo techniques, et cetera. But the ancestral wisdom that was very much alive, let's say, in Native American culture, which is that, you know, health and spirituality are the same thing. That's the same thing. And so when we're trying to understand, like, how to evolve our spirituality, then, you know, health becomes a very important indicator of that. How healthy is the person, um, you know, living? How healthy are their relationships with their intimate loved ones? How healthy is their relationship with their community, with their society, and with their ecosystem? Like that becomes the guide for what is ethical and what is unethical. And so we can tell like, okay, these are spiritual practices that are helping people's health. You know, that community that's, that's, that's trying to, to do these things, it's like we can see all these indicators that, that they're, and the individuals are healing that their families are healing, that their community is healing, that their ecosystem, you know, is recovering and is improving. And so that's a big message that I'm a part of, you know, is to try to bring back a universal spirituality or at least make it accessible, the concept to people and have that be about their health, about their mental health, about their physical health, about their emotional health, about their well-being and how that's really like the focus of spiritual practice. The entire purpose of spiritual practice is to nourish our spiritual well-being. That's what it's for. It's not just to follow rules and, you know, I don't know. It's, I mean, there's social networks and things like that that come out of people's spiritual communities, which are, are very important. But what is really the root of what their practices are about? The root of their practices should be, I think, for their well-being. You know, that's how we would learn more and gain more. And that's what a lot of the spiritual traditions teach us and the ancestral traditions. And then that it ends up being reflected, you know, and this like more peace and harmony within the person leads to more peace and harmony out in the society and the community. That's, and so I think just go ahead. No, no, no. That's that's fascinating because, you know, you, what you're talking about, doctor, is a global health consciousness with a foundation in spirituality, which which makes sense. I mean, that's, and, yeah. and I get the feeling, you know, when we have guys like you on the front lines and some of the other people that you've described, I get the feeling. I think there's a general sense out there again, maybe very hopeful, maybe I'm naive, but I, I get the sense that people are really, really, really starting to open up again. I think so too. And what it comes down to, and that's why, you know, that's why I think from shock to all, I think just for you and for your listeners, I think it's a really important movie to see. And I'm not saying, like, you step in the right direction. Like you said, I'm not saying they have all the right answers. But 
it's really important to see. And one of the things that, as we bridge these two things, health and spirituality, is like this guy, one of these guys. So these very brave, you know, it's like it's very inspiring movie because these are the these are the brave soldiers. You know, these are the guys that we're all inspired by by the bravery, you know, of these Americans and what they're, you know, and you see how they how they respond to their treatment and how brave they are to go into the ceremony and what they're willing, you know, they're just going to go for it. And, you know, unfortunately, they get sent to do this and do that. And whether that was an ethical decision or not from 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 the powers that be, but that's where these guys find themselves. And so then they're now they're recovering from the trauma, from from what they had to do or what they're asked to do. And this guy has this wake-up call, like after his ayahuasca healing, where he's just like, oh my God, like our society has become a repository of trauma, you know? Absolutely. That, that, you know, the traditional culture, the traditional way is, let's say from Native American culture, or, you know, it's not, you don't, it's not a denial of trauma. It's like, you know, they had a warfare. They have all kinds of things. There's tragedy that comes through, you know, it, it happens. But they realize you have to, you have to grieve those things. You have to heal through those things. Like you have to, there has to be a sacred space that's opened up for people to work through that stuff without judgment and heal for, for the sake of their health. That if you don't do that, then it starts to accumulate in the society and you start to see this kind of spinning out of control you start to see things start to kind of step families start to break down you know all of a sudden some common sense concepts about like what it means to take care of children starts to fall apart and then what about the you know the the water supply oh well who cares you know let's poison it you know <laughs> all these you know just like really really kind of what you might consider twisted ways of being start to kind of develop and show themselves. So then we realize that in order to come back to a place of like, you know, wiser decision making, you have to heal that trauma. And so healing trauma is a huge part of what spiritual practice is about. Absolutely. Because part of what we have to deal with in this life, in our spiritual lives, and you know, our soul's journey is like we are going to deal with you know whatever circumstances we're born into, and all the other terrible things that are going to happen, and one day we're going to die. And so then the reality is there that we have to kind of figure out well, what are we going to do with that lifespan? How are we going to work through this stuff? Are we going to be able to to get somewhere to make some kind of progress where we can feel some kind of satisfaction, you know, over our existence? And so it turns out that healing our traumas is like a consistently what we observe in this kind of work. And maybe is this these people, they end up reconnecting like this whole thing, this soul retrieval, like you're talking about. They end up feeling a lot more connected to the possibilities of life, to the to the positive things, to the hope, to the joy, to the love you know, that we're all kind of hoping to experience more of. Like that seems way more accessible to the person whose trauma has been healed. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, it's it's. I'd like to, you know, I don't know if it's groundbreaking because it's always been here, but I think it's right. becoming more and more accessible. Like you say, let me ask you this, yeah. Doc. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me ask you this: Do you have a personal mantra that you live by every day? <laughs> I was looking at your questions to see. You know, I don't know. I'm not. I need to come up with something like that. <laughs> you got. I, you've got one, man. I know yeah. you do. Well, I mean, the the mantra that I've been spreading around, and I don't know if it's, but it's just that's what I'm kind of working with right now is the one that you mentioned that I've been saying. Just, you know, spiritual healing is spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is spiritual healing. You know, so that's just I like to say that. The one of the reasons I got started saying that is because. When we were trying to see about getting legal protection to do ayahuasca, right, and they they're saying, well, you can't, you know, if you're going to go to the DEA, you can't call it medicine because that's the FDA's, you know, department. You got to call it your sacrament, you know, you got to call it just the sacrament, basically. You can't call it medicine. But I was like, well, the traditional people, they all they they consider it a sacrament, you know, they consider it a, a totally sacred um, thing. And they call it medicine. And that's the traditional way. Like, it was not like we're not just making that up to, like, 
you know, confuse you. That's the way they've always said it. And they call peyote medicine. You know, it's a sacrament and it's a medicine. And then, in fact, they also call ikaro, healing song, medicine. You know, and they call prayer medicine. And they call ceremony and ritual medicine. So it's just like it's about bridging those things again. You know, it's realizing the reason that we're doing those things is not just for like feathers and, you know, to confuse people. It's like it's about healing. It's about healing their souls. What you're talking about, you know, soul retrieval, putting ourselves back together again. Remembering, like some one of my friends says, like you got the dismemberment. You got to remember, put everything back together again. So to me, that's really important. You know, spiritual healing is spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is spiritual healing. So just because I'm talking about healing doesn't mean that it should be restricted to the rule, the area of medicine, you know, of like uh, whatever, FDA and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about healing, which may involve, my, you know, my soul, my whole being, you know, the way, the kind of caring that people would have for their own children. You know, they're not going to restrict. If the child tells them that they feel like their heart is broken, they're not going to say, oh, you don't, the heartbreak, what is that? Yeah, how do you measure that? That doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I love that spiritual healing is spiritual practice. It's spiritual, spiritual, spiritual practice, practice spiritual, practice, healing. spiritual healing. healing. And so let me, so if people want, listeners want to find out more about Dr. Joe Tafor, how do they do that? How do they find out about Niwei Rao? And how do they find out about yeah. getting a copy of the Fellowship of the River? Sure. So there's, well, there's one more thing I want to share about is just real quickly. Sure. So I have Dr. Joe Tafur.com is my website it's kind of underdeveloped but there's a lot of there's stuff on there to, to link to the book and all that kind of stuff and you can find that those things and i'm trying to put events and things that i'm doing there then i have modernspirit.org you know modernspirit.org is uh um, let's get it well we can get into that let's i mean very briefly modern spirit tell yeah, us about that modern spirit is a nonprofit dedicated to demonstrating the value of spiritual healing in modern healthcare. So that's just so like what we're talking about, what we've been talking about all hour is just how to bridge this stuff, you know, and just not, it's just not make it just two separate worlds, but one universal world. And so one of the things that we're doing is that we need help with, we have a crowdfund to raise money for the Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project. So the Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project, so I mentioned the MDMA study for PTSD that they're doing. And these people, like kind of like what I told you about Russ's case in, in Peru with this Vietnam uh, PTSD, these people who are in this study have had an average of 17 to 18 years of treatment-resistant PTSD. Then they go into the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy trial where they do 12 weeks of therapy and just two or three sessions of MDMA. I think it's three, but with this, in this particular protocol that they have with the therapist. And at one year follow-up, they have uh, almost 70% of them no longer have PTSD. That's incredible. So it is totally incredible. And it's just, a, you know, it's just the beginning of the studies. We don't know. They're, gonna, they're trying to expand the study numbers so that we can learn more and see how you know, consistent these results are. But that's why, because of the results of this study being how they are, is why what we were talking about earlier, that the FDA is, is doing this breakthrough therapy fast track for them. And that's why there might be, hopefully, within a year, you know, come up with a, a way for more people to access this kind of treatment. So we are collecting saliva samples, modern spirit is, on the people going through that study. And when we collect the saliva samples, we're going to analyze, we, which we've already started to do. When we're done, we have all the, the numbers together. We're going to analyze those in a laboratory epigenetically. So that's a whole other topic. But the, basically, the bottom line is epigenetics is about how your genes are regulated. So it's not necessarily changing your genes, but it's changing the way that you're regulated. And there's all this evidence that trauma can affect the way our genes are regulated. And it happens, has this biochemical reality of like the way that these things are modified, these these molecules around the DNA get modified and it affects the way the genes are um, expressed. And so that's one way we're learning. We're still learning about how trauma, like from a, let's say Vietnam, could cause some imprinting in the epigenetics that would be stable and would stay with the person for decades, you know, and affect their physiology, affect their stress response system, affect how they are, you know, triggered and overreactive 
to, you know, stress in general. So then when somebody has this treatment resistant PTSD, like in the case of the people entering this trial or two decades, and then they see a dramatic shift, you know, that is like, whoa, and it's measured and documented. We have reason to believe that there would be some shift at the physiologic level, you know, at the biochemical level. And the epigenetics seems like the area where that shift would happen. And there's other research to also indicate that that would be possible. So the idea is we're trying to see. And when you talk to the people who are going through the treatment, well, they have these huge emotional healing experiences. And, this, and you know, many of them have kind of mystical, spiritual experiences, you know, going through the psychedelic treatment. And so the idea is we are trying to see where this spiritual and emotional healing touches the flesh. And so that's why we're trying to record this epigenetic change that might be happening in these people who are having these really dramatic PTSD healings, which would likely be similar to what people are experiencing down in Peru, you know, when these people have these big turnarounds with their PTSD. So that'll help us have a way to kind of bridge the biomedical model and this emotional and spiritual healing work. So that's what we're trying to do. So it's a big deal, and we're trying to raise money. There's a crowdfund, modernspirit.org. You can find the crowdfund and help us raise the money we need to, to do the analysis. We should be able to analyze it later this year, hopefully. That is phenomenal work. We're definitely going to be a missionary for that project because, you know, I know all about this association. I disassociated from that trauma that I suffered at such a young age for 42 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure that made many imprints all through college and all kinds of different things throughout my life. But the trauma of the TBI is what brought all that to a forefront. And the work that you're doing, Doc, I got to tell you, it's so badly needed in today's uh, today's complex world where I totally agree with you that we become a, a culture of trauma, but we're not dealing with it. And you're on the cutting edge. You know, your your colleagues and you deserve great kudos. I know you're not finished yet. I know you're busy, but I mean, phenomenal work. So, so people can go to drjoetafor.com and modernspirit.org. And, modernspirit okay. and then also Niway yeah. Rao. Does that have a website? Niway Rao has a website. Niway Rao, if you want to head to Niway Rao, N I H U E R A O.com. And then the book. You know, that's what started all this for me was your great book, The Fellowship yeah. of the River. Please read the book. Please buy the book. It's on it's on Kindle. It's on Audible. You can get it on Audible. It's me reading it. Put a review on Amazon if you get a chance. You know, spread the word. So it's Fellowship of the River, a medical doctor's exploration into traditional Amazonian plant medicine. Hey, are you working yeah, on any whole, new books? Hey, you know, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, everyone asking me, and I should. I needed to do, but I, it just took me forever to write that book. So. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could write another, but I would like to, but it really took me forever. And I, you know, I don't, I need to have a life is my problem. I'm too busy. No, I get, I get that. And you know what, one thing that's phenomenal about you that I absolutely love. And for those that that are going to listen to this, you know, you know, spiritual healing is spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is spiritual healing. And you're, you're on the, uh, you're on the cusp of, I think uh, probably one of the greatest shifts in humankind that we'll ever see. I, I feel it coming. A lot of people do. And yeah. hopefully that, you know, by networking, by using these great technological tools, we can use them in a way that benefits all of us. And, you know, the biggest thing that kept me from ever reaching out to do anything, Doc, quite honestly, was the stigma associated with the type of trauma. And I even knew it at that age that I'm not saying anything to anybody because I'm going right. to get labeled with not doing that. The social stigma that kept me hidden in this shadowy world of, of nonsense cost me a lot. And, 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 and you know, yeah. got, and I, and I hurt a lot of people in that process. And, you know, sure. when you lose your soul, you drastically, or you desperately try to find it again. And when I found your book, uh, it gave me a little bit of my soul back. So thank you for that. Well, and that's just it. You know, it's like, we're all, we're all ashamed, you know, we're all ashamed and we all have reason to be, but you know, part of the problem around certain kinds of, whether it's PTSD or certain kinds of trauma and abuse and, and, and the shame around that, you know, part of what was so scary for people to, to deal with that is because they didn't feel like you could ever get better from something like that. And, and that's the real, you know, I don't know, that is a part of it. And, and so now that it's becoming clearer and clearer that you can, 
you know, if, if you thought you couldn't or somebody told you you couldn't or whatever on top of the, the shame of just the whole air, all of it, it's just like, that's what we're trying to let people know that this healing isn't just like a blah, blah, blah. It's real. And many people are doing it. And there's many ways to get to it. Like you're saying healing without labels. And so we want to encourage people that, you know, there is, it is available and it is worthwhile. And, um, and it's, it can be very beautiful, you know, to go through such a healing process. Absolutely. Well, thank you, doctor. And, uh, you know, I've got a, uh, I got a hashtag for you, Dr. Jota for the spirit knot. The spirit knot. Oh, the latest. No, okay. man, I got, I'm just, <laughs> you're not. Okay. That's better. I like that better. I like, that's cool. And you know what is that I say a lot to people is psyche, you know, psyche, psyche yeah. is like from the Greek and they, a lot of people translate that as mind. Cause like psychology and whatever her psychiatry. But my understanding of what psyche means in Greek is soul. That's really cool. So I like spirit. Jo- Dr. Joseph for makes- the original authentic spirit, not out there to save the world <laughs> and to lead people and lead them down the right path. And um, I'm just blessed to know you. And I look forward to the day that we can meet in person. Cause I know we will. Um, right people on. on the thank you for all your kind words. Thank no, and, so and I mean, them. Your, I'm not what you're trying to do just spreading it around, you know, doing this work just for, just to help people. It's really wonderful. Well, thanks, doctor. And uh, good luck on everything that you're doing. And if you need any help on our end, I'm here. I'm in your, I'm in the spirit, not core with you, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm here to help as much as we can. And, and again, I do appreciate you and God bless you. And thank you for your book. Thank you too. God bless you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Task Force Zen Radio. Through education, we will raise global awareness, create more balance, perpetuate human healing and diminish suffering in our world because... Humankind matters.